If you like the episode, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps the podcast gain traction and ensures you can catch new episodes when they drop. Thank you so much for listening. I was one stroke behind Ken Climo to start out the last day. Wow. I mean, my mental frame wasn't, I wasn't settled. I was all sorts of jittery and I messed up the first shot and didn't get birdie. When you start doubting yourself and doubting what you can do will steamroll and grow until it's a big problem. Welcome to Basket Case, the podcast where disc golfers tell you the stories of when their mental game had the power to make or break their rounds. Let's gain some experience, work on our brains, and hit some chains. This week features Ron Kahn Jr., a three-time world champion who faced down legends like Ken Climo, becoming a thousand rated at 39 years old, and maintaining that rating for 20 years. Hear how his game has adapted and changed and his essential four-part fieldwork routine. Well, are you ready to talk about some disc golf mental game stuff? I think so. It's hard for me and because of the breadth of play to pick specific things, but (laughs) there's a lot of times in in my career where the wheels have come off. I think it'd be great if you could give us just a little bit of background on who you are for those that don't know. If you say, I talk to Ron Con with the older community, I don't care who they are. They've been playing for a while, five years or more. Yeah. They know me. Yeah. If you say that, the newer players, they're like, who that? Yeah. Or, <laughs> or you meet them in a practice round and you have no idea. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> Well, as soon as you started throwing, I was like, who is like, I knew you had to be somebody because (laughs) you were so good. I I started playing disc golf in 1981 when they put a course in, in my town. A friend of mine came into some discs in 1983 and we started competing with each other and his wife and I would go out and I was hooked. I want to say 1995, I became a pro. 2001. I was picked up by Discraft, and my rating was basically a thousand at that time. And I was playing some pretty good level golf. I hit a thousand at 39 years old. I maintained it for 20 years. If I can do that while holding a full time job, I raised four of my grandchildren. I don't want to hear excuses about I'm too old. I've played through a shoulder tear, I've played through a wire in the finger, all sorts yeah. of real injuries. Uh, I've played through all this other stuff. And it doesn't matter. You you just have to continue to practice what you can, adapt your game, and enjoy it as much as you and I do. I think it was 11 years with Discraft. And then I had somewhere in the end of that, I had picked up Dynamic Discs as my apparel and uh, what have you sponsor. When they started producing discs, Discraft told me I had to make a decision and I decided to go with Dynamic Discs. And so I've been with them since before they were producing discs. 
At this point, I'm still competing at a pretty high level. Early this year, before my birthday at age 59, I played the Norman Pro-Am and uh, won it in the Open Division, shooting a 1080 rated round and all that. Wow, that's so crazy. Not to mention three world championships. Three world championships (laughs) and the uh, NPL 50. This year, I ended up taking second, tying with Barry Schultz and losing by two strokes to Johnny McCall. So, yeah, maybe let's talk about a little bit of your struggles. What have you been a basket case about lately? Lately, I'm working on downsizing. My age is catching up with me. I'm trying to bring the reduced physicality that comes with growing old into my game because, well, I can't throw it as far as I used to. For example, I went and played Pro Worlds in Emporia, Mm -hmm. and I got whooped. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the shots were very long shots. I did really, really well in practice. Mm -hmm. uh, But during practice, I ended up hurting myself because I was trying to throw too Mm. far all the time. Every shot was another 400 plus foot shot. And so after a day of throwing way too many of those, I come into the event already drugged down. I I lost the confidence that I could throw the shot because, well, actually, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I couldn't. So I adapted on some holes. There's a shot where you have to throw basically a a 450 foot plus shot over the pond. And so I adapted that shot and threw to the safe area and then played it around the pond and still came out with as good of a score as a lot of the guys were throwing that were going over the pond. Or if they went OB, I was getting a better score than what they threw. That used to be my favorite type of golf was... So you're saying... Crush it. Me now, 30 years old, start working on my... (laughs) Start diversifying (laughs) now. (laughs) Develop your skills and accuracy. That always pays off. Yeah, it's true. Even at wide distance, it pays off to be accurate. It pays off to be accurate no matter uh, what the type of shots you're throwing. But also by toning it down and not trying to smash it all the time. I regained some of my accuracy on the shots and was able to score better than when I was trying to smash the shots, not knowing where it was going to end up. Yeah, just brute strength. I had that actually come into play for me when I got pregnant. I didn't want to throw how I had been throwing up until that point because I didn't want to injure myself or hurt the baby or or whatever. My whole pregnancy is where I really started developing touch. So I'd throw like really understable flippy things on a hyzer to flip them up and realize I can throw just as far, if not farther. Even now, that shot is still my distance shot. The discs have changed. There was a event called the Frizz in Winfield, Kansas. I came in second in distance to Crazy John Brooks, threw it 485 with a 186 gram big boat of a disc. So I, I used to be able to throw just about as far as anybody else on any given day. And as the technology improved, I got to, to sort of ride the wave and it kept my distance somewhere in the upper fours all the way through until recently. And another injury is it sort of got me down and uh, I'm not throwing in the upper fours anymore. So I'm having to try and work 
that through my field work, figure out where I'm comfortable throwing long and go from there. So it's it's a total rework. Trying to get to where I'm comfortable with the distance I throw and knowing that I can place it where I need to place it and, and being confident. Things have changed and uh, I've in- improved my distance by getting a new disc, by just going out and hitting it harder for a little while mm-hmm. and gained a little bit. But a 900 foot hole, I don't have to throw 500 feet. That's that's something that I just can't throw two 500 foot shots and have a putt. You know, it's, it's right. not- but there is like a, a threshold of you have to be able to throw a certain distance further than everyone else for it to make a stroke difference. Even though there's times when I have like 50 feet more distance than everybody else, it still doesn't equate to a bigger stroke, you know? Yeah. So you're right. Own Scoggins, I think is a perfect example of this. She can throw it just as far as she needs to throw it to get in position for birdies. She's not throwing 400 feet, but she knows how to throw 325 feet perfectly accurately and that's where it is. And make a long putt, yeah. And that's where it is. I went and played a course. We played Moccasin Creek in uh, Pahuska, Oklahoma, which is, I think it's the top-rated course in Oklahoma. Right now. I hadn't played it very much. I went and played it the night before, and it really set up for someone who could throw big shots. And Scott's known for throwing big shots. That's what he does. He does it really well. And I beat him by six strokes because I didn't play his game. Hole 18 in particular, I think I gained a quick three strokes on him there because he tried to throw it far. He was out of position to throw his next shot. He, he got shook a little bit and he didn't recover from it. Yeah, self-faith is a huge component uh, on playing well. And when you start doubting yourself and doubting what you can do will steamroll and grow until it's a big problem. A good example of this, I played the U.S. Open. By the last round, I was one stroke behind Ken Climo to start out the last day and way ahead of the field. Wow. You know, he and I were both way ahead of the field. And I changed what I was doing. I was staying at a campground. Instead, I went and stayed with somebody else. I changed my everything that was going on. I stayed up late instead of going to bed. And I came to the whole one tee more or less unready. I mean, my mental frame wasn't, I wasn't settled. I was all sorts of jittery and I messed up the first shot and didn't get birdie. And, you know, and the whole rest of the round was absolutely horrible. The wheels came totally off of my game. After after leading or playing very, very well, I shot, I want to say a sub like a 950 rated round. I lost confidence. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. And I didn't figure out during the event how to pull it back together and get my attention back onto execution, which is where it really needs to be more than anything else. During any golf game, you need to be focused on execution rather than the final result. Right. Rather than outcomes. Rather than outcome. And a lot of people, including myself, just see the outcome. Oh my God, I shot horrible. At this point, I know what to do. That was a long, long time ago. The best way that you can change it is have a short memory of your last hole. Take what you're given and play it from there and play it just as, as well as you can. Rather than looking at the, the overall outcome, you won't be playing scared. You'll be so focused on what you're doing 
that your game will see a surge and you'll all of a sudden be back to playing very well. I yeah. mean, this is all given that you practice and you have the physical skills and all that. Yeah. You know? yeah. You'll you'll see this a lot as younger people come on. They're just phenomenal. They they have no fear. They they run everything, and sometimes they they do horribly. But overall, they probably do pretty darn well on occasion. As they develop their game, you'll see that fearlessness go away in their mid twenties, and their game will take a hit. I think part and parcel of this is that I've played long enough. I know how to screw up really well. And I have to keep my mind off of that. (laughs) You make the right kind of mistakes, but yeah, not letting that fear hold you back from your peak performance. You have to focus on execution. And that's the the thing is, whether it's a death putt and you're facing a big pond or a drop off or whatever behind it, you have to go back to the practice and and the knowledge that it doesn't matter I'm going to make this putt. I'm, I'm sitting here. It's less than 20 feet or it's 20 feet or whatever. And all I have to do is hit this line and it's going to go in. Was there uh, ever a tournament that that kind of happened for you? Uh, Joplin. Went in. I, I had won Joplin uh, three years in a row, the A tier over there. I was playing with friends of mine. I knew what they were capable of and I knew what I was capable of. And I was worried about them beating me. And it all comes down to hole 18, and we both missed our putts. Actually, that was one of those where the person that was behind us jumped us because we were both juggling the the shots. Yeah, it happens. You you get so focused on playing against the people that you're with Mm -hmm. instead of focusing on executing the shot and beating the course, you focus on beating the people. That doesn't work. What are some of the strategies or tips and tricks that you use? Strategies would be get out there and practice. Become familiar with your toys. Make sure that what you think that disc is going to do is what it actually does and be confident. You know, you can say it to yourself, okay, this is going to go out and turn over. But if you don't actually go and throw that shot, you're not really sure. Yeah. Like tapping into, you have this developed relationship with your tools. Yes. And you have those memories stored in your body. Your body knows how it threw this particular disc this one time. And then it just kind of yeah, taking that relationship right. with your tool out and deploying it when you need it out on the course. This is like a four-part drill that you can use to uh, get used to your toys. So I'll go out and I'll, I'll go to a field that has a line like a hashtag on a football field or a soccer field that has a line. And I'll try and throw it straight down the line, flat, no angle at all. Just try and throw a flat shot. And I'll be paying attention to wind conditions. Hopefully it's a still day and I can get a true read on what the disc is doing by itself. And then I will make a middle note of, okay, it went 30 feet to the left, five feet to the right, or whatever it does. When I'm doing this, I'm throwing my whole bag. It's not always just to become used to a new disc. It's Mm -hmm. also to retain the familiarity I have with the bag I have. So I'll go gather my stuff up 
and then I'll I'll rethrow using the knowledge that okay this shot should go 30 feet to the right aim it 30 feet the opposite direction yeah. and hope that it ends up on the line now if it doesn't end up on the line then my vision of what it's doing isn't right and I have to rethink that but if it ends up on the line and all is good great I'll move to step three and step three is I go back to the beginning and this time I'll throw a shot down the line with angle to try and control the flight of the disc by using the angle of release so that it ends up on the line when I'm done. If you were in billiards, that teaches you English. You could take this disc and turn it over and know that it's going to come back or know that it's going to do this whenever you get done. The next step after that, the last one that I do is to throw it opposite. Instead of trying to throw it down the line and control the angle, try and throw it away from the line and have it come back. And that's really easy with spike hydras and things like that. But try doing that with a flex, something that you wouldn't normally do and see how the disc reacts to that. And by, by doing that, if you do it a few times, all of a sudden you'll be way more confident in all those weird angle shots that you end up with that yeah. you have to have because you've got an obstacle that you have to work around. Yeah, especially for, you know, players like us, like you mentioned, who don't have equal strengths in both forehand and backhand. Yes. I went up to uh, Colorado Masters. I had a really hard time adjusting to elevation with my putters. My first round, I played well. Second round, I really struggled with the putt. I'm used to making longer putts. I'm pretty confident on where I need to put it out. After a few of misses at longer range, I was trying to persist with throwing the, the same. same shot that How I you usually do. This usually works. <laughs> without, without applying what I knew. You know, everything's more overstable. We're at elevation. It's going to hyzer more. So I was actually, you know, having it hit and kick off to the left. I ended up losing that one in playoff. The part that led up to me losing it in overtime was my inability to make the mental correction from this is how it usually is to this is what it's doing. This right is what now. it is today. And yes. you have to adjust to that reality. Well, especially you, you talked about only bringing a few of your discs. I've played at some uh, high elevations before, and it is such a dramatic difference. If you're yeah. used to playing with high speed, overstable. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. No. Well, uh -oh. <laughs> Yeah, we're at like 6,500 feet where I'm at. So I'm at high elevation. I usually have the opposite problem whenever I go play in Oklahoma. I mean, at the right. Northwest Arkansas, that was one of my <laughs> biggest issues at that tournament was I just could not adjust to elevation. I did not have any discs stable enough. My stable, trusty headwind driver, like high speed, way stable would just turn over. It took a few rounds for me to have That's a good like round. getting there a week early and playing thing. Yeah, don't you right. really? The most dramatic I, I think I've seen was I went and played uh, the Sunlight course in Colorado for Colorado States one year. And this is a ski slope that's way up there. It's like 10,000 plus. Just getting acclimated the day before, it was very, very difficult to adjust not only physically, but mentally to how everything was flying because all of a sudden everything was more overstable. I mean, not just a little bit, but things that I normally would consider doing loopy loops backwards were stable. Yeah, I got my ass kicked. <laughs> but 
I mean, at the end of it, Eagle, Eagle was there playing. He won the event, and he did congratulate me on playing as well as I did because yeah. that was my first time to play at, at that type of elevation change, that mm -hmm. air escape that I just yeah. never wanted to throw. Because oh. <laughs> it was, or, you know, it was yeah. too understable. There's no way I could throw this disc. Mm -hmm. I go up there, and it's the only thing that I can get to turn yeah. right. I've done that same thing. I have a, I call it the paper plate. It's a 138 gram Mamba and Ooh. it, and it's like it's blizzard plastic and it is so beaten. It is like as old as the beloved person who gave it to me, Vince Gardner. <laughs> and it was the only thing I could use on those like ski slope where it's like 8,000 feet elevation. And normally it is not a disc I can ever throw. It's a disc like my daughter can throw. Right. And it's the only thing I could get to go straight. This talk about playing in elevation when your discs that you've built up all of this trust and this relationship in with all of your practice and your field work. And then all of a sudden they aren't doing what they normally do. How those discs relate to each other. You throw one and it doesn't act the way you think it did or and should shift down the spectrum but to you the can next, shift, yeah. but you can shift that knowledge to another one of your discs the last one flew way more overstable or or way more whatever it is whichever direction you're going on the elevation use that knowledge and have faith in the knowledge that you built up in how the discs relate to each other yeah. if you if you go out there and you, you throw your whole bag and this is one of the things i did when i was starting out putters, mm -hmm. mid-ranges, fairways, everything that you throw and see how far it'll go. I'm throwing yeah. 70%. How far does it go? Then I walk to a hole and it says 260. Mm -hmm. And I know that my putter five options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here, here's, here's my nine iron. Yeah. You know, I can pull out the disc that suits that distance mm -hmm. and the shape of the shot. And your comfortability in that moment. And, too. and I'm happy with knowing that this is what's going to happen because I've done it. It builds that self-faith and allows you to focus on making sure that you throw the shot correctly and not worry about all the rest of the side issues. Say you're on the putting green and you just can't make that putter go in. I used to and still will use multiple putters. I mean, different, totally different flights. So I'll go from a really, really understable putter all the way up to a really overstable putter and I'll, I'll maybe putt with uh, a Ricky slammer instead of a judge, or I'll go the other way and I'll, yeah. I'll putt with a Swan reborn. And by doing that, I have to stop reboot, refocus mm -hmm. on what the shot's going to do and what the release needs to be. And all those other things that I'm not focusing on. Mm. If I'm just throwing the normal shot that I always throw. If I'm not having success throwing that normal shot, I try and short circuit that process yeah. by going to a totally different disc. That's actually a great, you know, it's like a um, like a quick cold dip to just like shock your system into resetting. Yeah, yes. and that's, I love that. And I um, when we played together, we saw each other at Arkansas something. <laughs> Northwest Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, Northwest Arkansas. 
You mentioned something to me about warm-up putting that I will never forget. The reason you warm up before your round, not only to build confidence or whatever, is to feel what your body is like that day. Because yeah, your your bodies will slightly change and, and get in sync with what your putt is going to do today. <laughs> right. And that's that's one of the other reasons why carry multiple putters is because there's days when it seems like my release is just a little to the right. Yeah. Or a little to the left. And by having that spread of putters. Right. I love this so much because I I know exactly what you're talking about. There are rounds when all of a sudden I just am releasing like I'm missing right every single time. And it's super consistent that I'm missing right. But like, why? <laughs> why today? Like, what is this weird thing? Because it feels normal. It feels like it it always does when I putt. And so having you know, a, a, a putter in my bag that's just slightly more stable that I could use. Yeah, you just throw the same exact shot and have the confidence that, okay, so this one's a little more stable. It's going to go right in. I don't need to change my throw. And then when you get back and you're all done with your round. Then you can then you dig can into it a bit. Figure out what you were doing. <laughs> right. But while you're done with your round. Just goose it during the round because then you're going to be you only have one shot, you know, you only get one putt. You don't want to waste that one stroke on, you know, trial and error. And and because I know that this disc is always this much more overstable than this disc, right. I can go in and just put that one in the bag, pull the other one out and know that instead of going straight, it's going to hook up. It gives me the confidence this is going to hit the pole. I played Colorado States this year and I'm super cheap. So I try to fit everything in one bag so I can fly frontier <laughs> and pay $60 for a flight. So like, basically what that means is I carry like half the discs I normally carry, including putters. So for this particular tournament, I only had one putter in my bag and it, it was my judge. When I got there, I was warming up with one putter and one of the guys there was really sweet. And he gave me one of his like P something three. I don't know Prodigy very well, but I loved that disc and it helped me so much. I made some like crazy 35 footers. I made like this putt that was like way up a hill into the and it's exactly what you're saying it was just slightly more stable to what I was used to and it just gave me that little extra bit of confidence that like I can put a full throw on this and a full snap and a full spin and it's not going to spit out right it's going to go right in the middle and whether it was the stability or the confidence to actually hit the shot or both but it definitely did make a difference whenever inclement weather comes in I'm happy because all of a sudden, everybody else is on their back foot, too. And I have the opportunity to make advances against all those people who practice in beautiful weather. Right. Levels the playing field a little bit. Yeah. You don't get to choose when tournament day shows right. up. You don't get to choose when you're going to go out and throw. And if you're not comfortable, you're not going to throw as well as you can. If it's raining and you can't stay dry and your grip is slipping a little bit and your focus is on, oh my gosh, I'm slipping, rather than on getting comfortable and throwing the shot that you have, then you're not going to play as well as you could. I've seen that one play out a lot. And you'll see people like uh, Ricky show up with 25 towels and he'll use one towel 
on each hole and give it back to his caddy and he'll yeah. he'll have a perfectly dry disc for right the shots he needs to throw and that's a huge advantage that's a huge advantage yeah so it's that's that's one of those because it's dry you have the faith in the shot and the faith in the execution and you get the doubt out of your mind and that's really i, I can't repeat it enough times but going out doing the field work getting the practice in so that you're familiar with your plastic you're familiar with what happens going out and playing in all conditions so that you know that even in bad conditions you can throw a particular shot and then applying it within your skills you can't go out to a course and think that okay in perfect conditions with a tailwind i can throw it this far and think that you're going to throw it that far all day. It's not going to happen. If you had one take-home message for people to remember, what would it be? Something that's like, what's core to your story? Adaptation. Being able to adapt is going to make you a better player. And how fast you adapt to whatever happens around you or whatever you face on the course is going to determine how well you come out of a round. If you go in with preconceived ideas, it's going to bite you. If you can adapt on the fly and just play as good as you can, then you're going to, to play exceedingly well. Adapting to whatever circumstances are going on around you that you can't change. Don't try and change it. Try and adapt your game to fit those circumstances. Well, thank you so, so, so much for talking with us, Ron. You are such a... <laughs> Oh, such a hero to me. Um, I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. This is a lot of fun. If you feel like your game is aging and have some stories or insights, share them with your fellow fanatics. I'll schedule an interview for you to tell your story on the podcast. Just email discgolfbasketcase at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at Howells or at discgolfbasketcase. Can't wait to hear from you. As always, if you like Basket Case, rate, review, and follow the show. Especially leaving a review. It helps the podcast get discovered by others and lets me know what you like about the show. I am not a mental health professional or a sports psychologist. How many times do I have to tell you this, guys? Seriously. Opinions expressed by guests on the show are their own and don't necessarily represent my views. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, full send everybody. No guts, no glory, no brains, no chains. Goodbye. <laughs>